So we've been studying the book of Acts for two months now. Well done. Uh, Today we complete Acts. Acts uh, records the history of the early church. There are 28 chapters. Uh, Today we are finishing on chapter 27. One of the primary themes throughout the book of Acts is the good news that we can escape the coming judgment. The Bible tells us repeatedly there is a day of judgment coming when God's going to judge the world for its sin. And you and I are sinners. But, here's the good news, if today we will repent of our sins and put our faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ, we can find forgiveness, reconciliation with God, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, so that when the day of judgment comes, we have nothing to fear. This is fundamentally part of the good news of the gospel. We can be saved, we can escape. As the Apostle Peter is recorded as preaching in the second chapter of Acts, we looked at this a number of weeks ago, Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. What an amazing promise. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. God comes and dwells within you. Oh, this is incredible. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, that would be us here in Alaska, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. And so the gospel is, hey, (laughs) repent of your sins, put your faith in Jesus Christ, and you can be saved from the coming judgment. Rather than a terrible day for you, it'll be a day of deep gratitude as you thank your Lord and Savior for bearing on his back the stripes that you deserved, taking upon himself uh, the punishment you and I deserve because of our sins. But the flip side is also true, and and that is if you harden your heart to the gospel, if you turn a deaf ear, if you ignore God's great salvation, well, when the day of judgment comes, it will be a terrible day for you. As the Apostle Paul preached, recorded in Acts 17.30. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Think about that. God commands, it's not optional, repentance is not optional, it's a command from our Creator. All people, that's you, that's me, everywhere on planet Earth to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. He has fixed a day. God knows when the day of judgment is. It's coming. It's fixed in the uh, eternal timeline. It will someday be upon us. He has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. He is the perfectly righteous judge. By a man whom he has appointed. Who is that man? Jesus. That's right, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. So one of the primary themes of Acts, we've seen this uh, reported uh, time and again, story after story. One of the apostles proclaims the gospel, preaches the gospel, and some hear and obey, and they are saved, and others reject it. 
and they stand accountable to God. And so uh, this is just over and over through Acts. Uh, It's been repeated. Hey, when the gospel is preached, you want to be one of those people who listens and responds in faith and be one of those people who gets saved. So now here we are, uh, Acts chapter 27. We're right up at the, at the end line of the whole book. And Paul spends, or I'm sorry, Luke, the author of Acts, spends over an entire chapter detailing a shipwreck, giving us all kinds of nautical information. And, and when I first read it, I'm thinking, why, why right at the end of the book does he talk about a shipwreck for over a chapter? Does he, does he just think, oh yeah, I know this is going to make for great travel log reading, right? They've been reading Acts and uh, there are some, uh, some sailor types who will just think this is great. And so he talks all about leeward side of the wind and northeasters. And, but I, you know, I don't think that's the case. I think what Paul is doing, or I'm sorry, Luke is doing is he uses the story of the shipwreck as a, as a metaphor, about the dangers of ignoring the warnings of God through his apostles. And the danger of not only shipwreck in this life, but the greater danger of shipwrecking your soul. So I think Luke uses the story of the shipwreck to kind of underline this theme in the gospel. Don't neglect so great a salvation. Don't ignore the the warning of the Lord. He wants you to escape judgment. Don't turn a deaf, a deaf ear to that. So let's go ahead and uh, get into our story. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 27. Here, let me give the, the, the context within Acts. Paul is now a prisoner. Last week, uh, Dylan looked at uh, Paul's defense before King Agrippa and uh, Felix the governor. Agrippa was the king of Israel. And at the end of that, Agrippa told Felix, you know, if Paul had not appealed to Cedar, we, we just let him go. But Paul was a Roman citizen, and he had the right to ask for an audience with Caesar himself. And Paul did that. He appealed to Caesar. And so Agrippa said, you know, we would have let the guy go, but since he appealed to Caesar, we got to get him back to Rome so he can have his day in court with the emperor. And so uh, August, uh, I'm sorry, um, Agrippa entrusts Paul to a centurion by the name of Julius. And Julius is in charge of taking Paul to Rome. And so not just Paul, he's got other prisoners he's in charge of. Julius hires a, a ship in Jerusalem and they begin to sail. And the, and the plan is they're going to sail up the coast of Asia, get high enough that they can cross right over to Italy and get to Rome. Problem is they, they sort of, start late in the sailing season, and they encounter a number of uh, pretty heavy uh, storms, gales, that blow them off the coast of Asia over to Crete. have a map here, right? See that? And they get on the leeward side of Crete, and they're able to barely make it into Fairhaven's Harbor. So they're, they're alive, but the problem with Fairhaven Harbor is it's not a great place to winter. And they've come now to basically the end of the sailing season. It's probably October, and you don't want to be sailing in November. And, uh, but the problem with Fairhavens is it's not a good place to winter, and everybody knows it. And so every, the hope is that they can just go a little bit further, farther down the coast of Crete to Phoenix, the port of Phoenix. That's a great place to winter. That'll be comfortable. 
And then they can stay there, and, and when the winter season's over, they can continue sailing on, on to, uh, to Rome. Paul, however, uh, warns them against making this little uh, jump. He says, I perceive, we're going to talk about where he gets that perception in a moment, but he says, I perceive that if we try this, it's going to result in loss. And so he issues a warning, which I believe is a warning uh, from God to the sailors. So let's pick up the story. Acts chapter 27, starting in verse 9. So they are in fair havens. Actually, I'll start in verse 8. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Verse 9, since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out from sea to sea from there, on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Run, running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. First thing I want to say is this. Um, you don't issue a warning of danger unless you care. Think about when I was commercial fishing one time and I was moving from the back deck up to the bow and our boat happened to be broken down at the time. Uh, we were anchored, dead in the water and I'm moving up on the, uh, the right side, the uh, starboard side of the boat and a, just sort of a freak wave came. I didn't see it but uh, the captain did and he screamed at me, Mike! And he warned me, unfortunately, it was just a tad too late, and I got hit by that wave and knocked right off the boat. Fortunately, the other crew member, my uh, very good friend, uh, had adrenaline pumping through his body, and he literally just sort of picked me right out of the water and saved me. Divine empowerment. But you know what? My captain didn't yell that with the urgency he, with which he yelled it, unless he cared. He cared. He didn't want me to go down. And so that's the same thing when, when uh, God, through Paul, issues this warning, hey, uh, it's, it's going to be dangerous. You're going to have loss. It's because he cares. 
And the gospel, the warning of the gospel, judgment is coming, don't hear that as, oh, the wrathful God of judgment. Hear it as the God of righteousness who does not want you to experience judgment, warns us with plenty of time in advance so that we can get saved. Paul's perception. Paul says, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss. Now, some people have said, well, Paul's perception here is just based on the fact that he's a seasoned world traveler. Paul tells the Corinthians, three times I was shipwrecked. He really got on some bad boats, man. Uh, Three times I was shipwrecked. And he was a world traveler, no doubt about that. But I don't believe that when he says, I perceive that this short jaunt over to Phoenix is going to result in loss. That was just Paul, the world traveler. I believe God had given him spiritual insight. And thus, uh, when he issues a warning, it is, uh, it is Paul, an apostle of God, issuing a warning uh, from God. And thus, how, how that warning is responded to serves as a, a caution to us and a metaphor to us about how people uh, respond to the warnings of the gospel itself. I want to talk today about three ways to shipwreck your soul. Of course, you're not really interested in shipwrecking your soul, so these three things are cautionary tales, right? So God, through Paul, has issued a warning. Don't don't go sailing. It's going to result in loss, great loss to you. First way to shipwreck your soul. Listen to the experts rather than God. Look at verse 11. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. Who's Paul? He's like some religious rabbi dude. But I've got the pilot, the guy who this is what he does for a living. I've got the owner of the ship and they're telling me it's safe. Why should I listen to Paul? the experts of the world, most of them will tell you, you know what, there's probably not even a God. If there is a God, he certainly hasn't written down the Bible. The Bible's man-made. Most of the experts of the world will tell you, I doubt there's an afterlife. We're just like the animals, and when we die, it's over. And even if there is an afterlife, the idea that there's a heaven and a hell, come on, or a day of judgment coming, Ah. One thing about experts, experts are uh, very self-confident. Can-do people. Don't, don't try to scare me. In fact, uh, the word uh, the Greeks used to describe this was hubris. Hubris is uh, kind of overconfidence, and, and hubris was originally um, used to describe human arrogance in the face of the gods. The experts are often victims of hubris, right? Pride goes before the fall. I experienced this when I was an undergrad at Harvard. I uh, went to Stephen Jay Gould's class. He, at the time, was the foremost evolutionary biologist in the world. And I remember one of the very first class, he held up a Bible and he said, many of you come to this class and your understanding of how the world forms comes from this book. By the time this class is over, you will no longer believe that. I was a student, and I had to make a choice. Who am I going to believe? The expert, the guy with the PhD, who's at the 
in a top university, or am I going to believe God and what God says? Who's the real expert? <laughs> Who is the real expert? Listen to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. I love this. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The only person who knows whether there is a day of judgment coming is the creator, the one who stands outside of time and sees it all. And so that the world experts tell you you have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about, why listen to them? Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And as the psalmist writes in Psalm 119, 97, God, oh, how I love your law. It's my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. The wisdom of God trumps your enemies, it trumps your teachers, it trumps the aged. God has made the wisdom of man to be foolishness. So who are you going to believe? The experts tell you, ah, that's just a bunch of scare tactic stuff. There's not a day of judgment coming. You don't need to factor that into your equation of life. But that's not what God says. That's not what the gospel says. Second way to shipwreck your soul, follow the majority rather than God. Look at verse 12. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea. Apparently, the centurion said, all right, we'll just let the crowd decide. And the crowd, what's their motivation? Well, we don't want to have to be here. We, we want it to be better. 32% of the world's population are Christians. The majority are not. If you follow the majority, uh, you're not going to follow Christ. Jesus warns us against following the majority. Right? What does he say in uh, Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where he talks about uh, Broad is the path that leads to destruction. And many are on it. The majority are on that path. Where are they going? To destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to life, and few find it. So Jesus tells us, <laughs> don't follow the majority. They're going the wrong direction. Now, when it comes to food, I like the majority. Uh, drives my Sabrina nuts, but I almost always, when I'm at a restaurant... I almost always ask the waiter, so what's the most popular thing? Because I trust your judgment when it comes to food. You've got great discriminating taste buds. And rarely does the majority lead me uh, astray. I like the majority's taste. But when it comes to the spiritual realm, you don't follow the majority. Why? 
Because the majority are just taking their chances. Look what it says here. The majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that just somehow they could reach Phoenix. Let's do it. Because I just don't want to have to winter here. They have no knowledge. There's nothing, no empirical evidence that they're going to be able to make it. They just want it to be that way. How many people are just saying, I'm going to take my chances that this whole Bible stuff is not, you know, true. I'm going to just take my chances that when I get to the end of my life, there's no God holding me accountable. And that following, you know, not my choice not to follow Jesus and not to really care about uh, God's uh, plan for my life matters. Why? Because I want it to be that way, right? I want to be just able to do whatever I want and not worry about it. The majority. I think the majority of the people in the world are just going along, taking their chances. But that's foolishness. That's what these guys are doing here. They're, They're putting their very lives at risk on the chance that somehow they might get to Phoenix. That's foolish. How many people do you know that are just taking their chances? It's a a sure way to shipwreck your soul. Final way to shipwreck your soul is to trust present circumstances rather than the word of God. Verse 13. Now when the south wind blew gently... Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete, close to the shore. All of a sudden, they get this gentle south wind blowing. The present circumstances say, this is fair weather for sailing. And so they, they don't listen to Paul. Ah, who cares about that? Look at our present circumstance. It suggests that we should go for it. It suggests that we're going to make it. I wonder how many, how many people are uh, choosing not to listen to, the, uh, to heed the gospel's warnings because they look at their life right now and they say, come on, I, I'm, I'm healthy. I've got a great job. My family's doing well. We're happy. Uh, I'm living without regard to uh, Christ right now, and I'm doing fine. My present circumstance suggests that everything's good. And so they make their their, uh, long-term plans based on their temporary, uh, temporary circumstances. But here's the problem with fair winds. They always change. And the temporary, gentle southern blow turns into the northeaster gale, right? And that always happens. Hebrews 9.27 tells us, It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. Your pleasant life circumstances might last, but eventually you will face 
you will die and you will stand before your creator and you will have to give an account of yourself. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That's me. That's you. So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. When the storm blows, will you be safe? When you stand before God and have to give an account, do you want to stand there all by yourself? Or do you want to stand there with Jesus Christ, your advocate, interceding on your behalf, saying, hey, Father, I died for that one. Father, remember, I took care of that one too. You stand there clothed in Christ's righteousness. It makes all the difference in the world. And so many people, uh, they're, they're making their eternal destiny decisions based on their temporary pleasant circumstances. And that's a sure way to shipwreck your soul. Despite the best efforts of the sailors, despite all their human skill and tossing cargo overboard and even the ship's tackle, eventually after many days, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. You know, those who, those who uh, turn a deaf ear to the gospel, who harden their hearts to the gospel, uh, eventually that's going to be where they are. All hope of being saved, abandoned. But there's good news. The good news is you're still alive. You still have breath, so there's still a time to respond. Verse 21, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me. Yeah, he couldn't resist it, right? <laughs> I told you. Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Actually, I don't think that's Paul saying, I told you so. I think that's God saying, I didn't want you to lose anything. I didn't want you to incur any loss. It grieves me. I issued the warning so that you could be safe, completely safe, not lose your ship, not lose your life, not have any loss. And I'm grieved that you didn't heed my, my warning, and now your ship is going to go down. Yet, and here's the good news, yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. Even after n not listening, and doing their own thing, God still holds out an offer of mercy. Yet now I urge you. You know, Every, every moment, every day that goes by that you resist the gospel, you incur loss. Because life with God is better than life without it. You are suffering loss if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ. But you know what? You haven't lost your soul. Your souls, you, you have not lost your soul. And so you still have a chance to receive repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ and be saved. Don't let that one uh, slide by. 
2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're told, working together with him, that's God, we appeal to you. So that's, this is me right now. That's me. I'm working together with God, appealing to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. The grace of God to you right now is the preaching of the gospel. God's favor through, the, through his offer of grace. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You don't know how many more days you have. We don't know how many more, uh, how much life God has given us. It is appointed unto man once to die. Appointed. God knows. He knows how many days he's allotted you on the earth. Don't waste any of them. So today, if you are not a follower of Jesus Christ, today is your day of salvation. But it requires a heart of faith, a heart that says, okay, God, I thank you for caring enough about me that you have warned me of the coming day of judgment, and I choose to respond in faith. I acknowledge my sins. I repent of my sins. I receive Christ's death upon the cross as sufficient, full payment for my sin. And now I choose to let you be the leader of my life. I get off the throne. You're in charge. The Bible promises that if we do that, he wipes our our sins, takes our sins away as far as the east is from the west. They are remembered no more. Holy Spirit indwells us. We're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And the day of judgment has no, uh, is, brings no fear to us. It's no threat. It's a day in which we stand and marvel at the fact uh, that God has forgiven us so much and done so much to, for us. Let's take a, let's just have a time of response. If, if you don't mind uh, bowing your head and closing your eyes just because it helps you focus, all of us focus. This sermon has been uh, aimed predominantly at the, at the one who is yet to um, surrender to Christ. The one who has not yet heeded the warning of the gospel has not yet received the offer of forgiveness made possible in Jesus Christ. And so you know that, you know if that's you, I trust that the Holy Spirit uh, works through the preaching of his word to draw people, right? For as many as he draws unto himself, calls unto himself. If you are experiencing the draw of the Holy Spirit, the tugging of the Spirit, um, don't harden your heart today. Allow this story of a shipwreck to, um, to open your eyes and open your heart to, man, God loves me enough that he's provided a way of escape. I'm going to enter into that. Just do that. There are no magical words. It's a sincere heart before the Lord just saying, I, I, I want your salvation, God. And for the Christian, we can get, uh, we can get uh, even as Christians, it's amazing how all of a sudden we, we can start listening to the experts 
following the majority, trusting our present circumstances, at, an, at, a, minimum, at a minimum, growing um, callous to, to the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ and not living uh, fully in light of it, not unpacking uh, its treasures, all of its treasures. We leave so much unpacked in, in God's present to us, and that's a tragedy. So maybe the Lord has used the message today to expose um, how you're not fully trusting his word either. To the degree that's the case, just repent of that and recommit yourself to uh, believing God. Live fully uh, out, of his, out of his truth. Lord, uh, we just thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, inspiring Luke to record for us your activity through your people in the early days of the church. All scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for doctrine, correction, instruction, and training in righteousness so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so we receive uh, the instruction and correction uh, of this, of this um, story today from your word. We love you. Jesus, we honor you because you chose to go to the cross and, and die, suffer and die that we might live. Thank you. We owe everything to you. In your name we pray. Amen.